Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Logan campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. We're going to get into God's Word this morning. Let me pray before we do so. Dear Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for what you've been doing in our church uh, across so many different campuses now. But Lord, we thank you this morning that you are here. We thank you this morning that your Holy Spirit's here wanting to speak into our lives, wanting to stir us, wanting to challenge us, and wanting to minister to us this morning. Lord, we love you, and we look forward to what you are going to say in these moments that we have together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, if you've got kids or you've been in a shopping center where you've seen children, you will understand the power of persuasive children. Now, if you've got kids, you know that most kids have the spiritual gift of the nag. They have an ability to be able to kind of nag you until either generally what happens in our house is this. They nag and nag and nag until dad blows up and then gives in. You know, and, and don't judge me because you're exactly the same as I am, all right? And so children have this gift to be able to nag and persuade and, and in their desperation get what they want. Well, this morning we're going to look at a lady, a lady who's a widow, a widow who's, who has the gift of the nag and who takes this nag to a whole new level. So if you've got your Bibles with me this morning, we're going op to open up to Luke chapter 18. I'm going to look at verse 1 through 8. And it goes like this. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them how they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God or cared about what people thought. And there was a widow in the town who kept coming to him with a plea. Grant me justice against my adversary, she would say. For some time he refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I do not fear God or care what people, other people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, keeps nagging me, I will give her what, uh, sorry, I will see that she gets justice show, so that she won't continually come and attack me. The message version of that verse says this, because the widow won't quit badgering me, I'd better do something to see that she gets justice. Otherwise, I'm going to be end up beaten black and blue by her pounding. The Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice to his chosen, chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, we will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on this earth? Now, I love, we've been looking through this, the parable series. We've seen a little video up there. And, and every week we've been taking a whole lot of different parables and looking at it. Now, I love this parable because a lot of the parables are a little bit challenging to understand what they're talking about. You know, Jesus is sometimes talking a little bit cryptic and it's not quite sure what he's really saying. And, and I love this one because it's really, really clear. And even someone like me can understand what he's trying to get to. I love the fact that in verse one, he tells us his point. He says, he tells us his answer, and then he goes on to explain it. Now, it's kind of like, it reminded me of maths in school. 
Now, maths in school, you know, if you wanted full marks to, on, on the question that was, that was given, you had to not just come up with the answer, but you had to come up with the working to the answer. Now, that was great for a lot of you who were nodding at me because you knew what I was talking about. But for someone like me who just cheated his way through most of high school, copying off the person next to me, I could copy the answer, but it was way too complicated to copy all the working to try and find the answer. And you know what? A lot of us are just like that. We want to know the answer, but we don't always want to know the journey. We want to know the answer, what God is going to do, but we don't always like the journey that he's got us on. You see, we're more, but, but God is more concerned about our journeys than he is the destination. See, we love it when God opens the door, don't we? When God, when, you know, we pray for something and God answers and we just walk on through, but we find it challenging at times when God closes the door or when he takes his time. So the title of my message this morning is this, Pray Until. And if you're taking notes with me this morning, uh, because the stats are in that, that you will get an extra large mansion here if you take notes in church, unless that's the rumor that's going around the place. No, it's not. Uh, but if you're taking notes this morning, the title of my message is simply this, pray until. Pray until. Now, I know a lot of you, like me, have been downloading the apps on our phones, or downloading the, the wallpapers on our phones, and we're able to jump online, and for the last two weeks of my holiday, on my phone every day has been coming up, pray until. It's been a constant reminder that Jesus here has two clear truths. He has a purpose for us this morning, and his purpose, his big idea, the thing that he wants to get through to us this morning is simply this, that we are called to always pray, and we're called to not lose heart. Now, I don't know if you're anything like me. I find it easy to lose heart at times. On day two of my holidays, I'm sitting watching the NRL semifinals. Uh, it was Storm versus the Roosters. And at the end of that game, when the siren went and the scoreboard was not that impressive for Melbourne Storm, it was at that moment that I wanted to give up. It was at that moment when I wanted to take off my journey and I wanted to just throw it in the back corner of the cupboard and for it never to be seen again. But then I realised one truth. There is always next season. And you know what? I sensed as I was thinking about this this week that God wants a prophetic word for some people here and he wants to remind you of this. No matter the season that you're in, no matter what the scoreboard says, no matter what the outlook looks like, that there's always next season. That there's always something that God has got in store for you just around the corner. But back to the parable. Back to this parable in this woman. You see, we, we, we don't understand quite the whole ramifications of this story. See, in today's day and age, you know, women and men are on equal levels and everything else. But back in those days, women were at the lowest rung in the social ladder. You see, men would actually pray this prayer. Jewish men would wake up and they would pray this prayer in the morning. And it was a prayer that went like this. God, thank you for not making me a slave. Thank you for not making me a Gentile, so a non-Jew. And thank you for not making me a woman. And that was the hierarchy. They would prefer to be a slave than a woman. They'd prefer to be a, a non-Jew, a Gentile than a woman. That was their outlook on women. And Jesus here has the audacity to talk about a woman and valuing a woman. But not only is she a woman, but she's also 
a widow. You see, in that day, widows were almost entirely dependent on on the generosity of the mercy and the scraps that fell off people's tables just so they could survive. And this lady was not just a lady, but she was also a woman. She had no husband. And according to the story, there there was no children to help her. She had no male advocates in her life. She had very little money. Because there was, no, there was no discussion in this parable about a bribery or, or a lawyer that, that she was able to go to. You see, in her world at that point in time, there was very little hope in what was going on in her world. And to make it worse, the widow had an adversary. She had an opponent. Jesus likely here is talking about some kind of, some, some, some male that was suing uh, this woman for something that had happened. And, and so here she is with no finances. And, and so her situation is, is, is incredible, is in a lot of trouble. And now she's being sued. And so it's even in more trouble. And apparently because the judge talks about the fact that she was, that that, uh, speaks of someone avenging her, the widow no doubt had been the one that had been unfairly attacked. It wasn't her fault. And so ironically enough, she is faced with the situation of going to a judge, of going to an unfair judge and pleading her case before him. And we read this judge. This judge is a jerk. This judge is not a nice guy. He doesn't care about what people think about him. And he's a Jew and he still doesn't even care about what God thinks about him. And so she's faced with having to come to this, to this judge and pleading her case before him. But he finally gets to the point He finally gets to this point where he's like, you know what, I've had enough of it. I can't handle her nagging anymore. I've blown up already and she keeps coming back. I've said no and she keeps coming back. I've said no, kids, you can't have a a dog and they keep coming at me all the time. Just pray with me. And, And so she keeps coming to the judge. And the judge finally makes a decision. But we've got to realize that the judge doesn't make the decision out of the kindness of his heart. He makes the decision out of selfish acts because he's so sick and tired of her coming to him and he doesn't give a rip about her, but she keeps coming anyway. And she find, he finally makes the decision. He says, you know what? Because the widow won't quit nagging me, I'm gonna give her what she wants just so that she leaves me alone. Now, this is where the parable gets really interesting because what we do is we read the parable and we're already trying to start to think about, okay, who's in the story and which is us in the story and which is God in the story. And we try to figure out, okay, what's, tra- what's Jesus trying to communicate to us? And we try and figure out all of the, you know, the who's who in the zoo. Who's, who's this person and who's that person? So if you're anything like me, you sit down, you hear it and you go, okay, who's the widow? Well, okay, verse seven says it. The widow is me. The widow is us. And so we kind of think, okay, I should be the one that, 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 that's constantly pursuing and persu- trying to persuade the judge to get what I need. I need to be constantly the one that needs to be crying out to him day and night, constantly pleading our case before him in hopes that one day we might get relief from adversary. So we go, okay, widow, check, done. I know that one. So who's the judge then? Uh, so... 
Are you with me? You kind of go, okay, widow, well, that's us. That's an easy one. Now we, we kind of go, okay, well, the judge, well, that must be God. But you know what? The kind of like, the God that I no, normally hear about, talked about at this stage, doesn't really sound like that kind of judge. I mean, that, that judge sounds really uh, self-focused and doesn't care about other people. And if that's the case, are you telling me, Dave, that, that you believe in a God and I should believe in a God that, that doesn't actually value people and doesn't like someone like me? Are you implying that God is heartless? That God doesn't care about us? He wants little to do with us unless we nag him? This is where this parable is just a little bit different. See, God is not the judge in this story. Rather, the judge is used to provide a contrast to show how rich God's goodness is towards us. See, if this non-God-fearing, non-respecter of people, this unjudged judge, yeah, unjust judge, will hear and answer the cries of a persistent and a desperate widow, then how much more will our God who loves us, who values us, who handmade and handcrafted you on purpose for a purpose, how much more would, would a God like that listen to someone like me? Jim Simbala, who's a pastor in the US, in, in New York, says this, God can't resist those who are humbly and honestly admit how desperate they are, that, sorry, desperately in need. Let me say that again. God can't resist those who humbly and honestly admit how desperately they need Him. See, church, we need to understand that there is great power in desperation that leads to prevailing prayers. But there's three things that we need to remember. The first thing is this. God's definition of quickly might not be the same as ours. Is God true to his word? So when God says he's going to do something, does he always do something? Yes. Now in verse 7, it says here that, 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 that Jesus would bring justice for his children and he would do it quickly. So why is it that if God is true to his word and he says what he's going to, and, he, and he's good to what he's going to do and what he says, then why is it that, that when, just, when, when he says that justice, he's going to bring justice in, he's going to do it quickly, why is it that it seems to take so long for God to hear our prayers at times? Maybe it's because his definition of quickly is a little bit different to our definition of quickly. You see, our, our definition, or actually, you know what, make this personal. My definition of quickly is this. I want it last week. You know, I kind of want like God and the magic genie and that, you know, in Aladdin. You know, like with the kids, uh, Jude just got Aladdin the movie and we've watched it 365 times in the last week. And, uh, and, and so, you know, in that movie, there's the genie and he rubs the genie and poof, the genie comes out and it's like, here's your three, you know, here's your three, uh, your three um, wishes, thank you very much. And, and then all of a sudden he answers them and it's poof, it's done right there and then. That's kind of the God that I would like. How about you? We kind of, we pray and poof, before the words have actually exited our mouth, the thoughts go through our mind and it's slowly, in my head anyway, it's slowly migrated to my mouth and then it's somewhat vaguely made it out of my, like it's, it's already answered. But that's not really how God always works. See, we've got to realize that the God works differently than we work. That maybe his delays happen 
so that we might grow more and more desperate for God, but also that those delays might actually be part of the answer to the prayer that we've prayed. That maybe those delays are actually part of God's plan. Let me, let me illustrate this point. In John chapter 11, we read a story about a guy by the name of Lazarus. And Lazarus was someone that, that Jesus deeply loved. He was a really, really close friend. You know, if you read through the, through the Gospels, there's not a lot of time when Jesus talks about his close, close friends. And yet in this story, twice it says, the one you love. Is, is, the, is the words that's spoken about Lazarus and Jesus' relationship. And so here is Lazarus, and, and Jesus and his disciples are off doing some ministry in a, in a town not too far away. And Lazarus uh, is, is sick. And so Mary and Martha, who are Lazarus' sisters, send word to Jesus and say, you know what, Jesus, uh, Lazarus, the one you love, is sick, like gravely sick. We're concerned that he's gonna die. Can you come back quickly? And can you minister to him? And can you heal him? And the next thing that happens in the stories, Jesus packs up his stuff and runs out the door. No, he actually doesn't do that. In fact, we don't actually know what he does. All we know is that for two days, he seems to just kind of put his feet up. And we know this because John, the writer of this gospel, doesn't even really go into great detail about what he did. So it can't have been that significant. And so Lazarus is kind of sick in bed and he's dying and Jesus is kind of putting his feet up and, and he's heard about the one he's loved who's sick and about to die and yet Jesus seemingly doesn't do anything about it. He doesn't do anything until Mary and Martha reach the point of utter desperation before Jesus seems to act. And he finally turns up, but Lazarus is dead. Let me ask you a question. Is Jesus late? Is he clueless? Did he miss the memo? Did he kind of, when it was, when it was said, he kind of got a little bit sidetracked. Oh, when, when, he, when he said he was sick, I thought he was like on holidays. Like, like, you know, Jesus, there was no kind of way of misconstruing what Mary and Martha were saying, is there? It's kind of like, it's really, really, really clear. And Jesus does nothing or seemingly nothing. Or is it maybe that all of this was part of God's plan? See, there's some really tough questions that I don't know the answers to. Some of the tough questions that I don't know the answers to, and there's a long list of them, is things like, I don't know why God waits until all the money is gone. I don't know why God waits until the sickness has lingered on and on and on and on. I don't know why God chooses to wait sometimes until the other side of the grave before he answers the prayer for healing. But Max Licardo writes this about those kind of questions. I don't know why. I only know his timing is always right. Though you hear nothing, he is speaking. Though you see nothing, he is acting. See, we've got to understand that our definition of quickly and God's definition of quickly are very different. But we've also got to realize that divine delays may not represent divine reluctance. We say that again. Divine delays may not represent divine reluctance. See, but if you're anything like me at times, it's easy to feel that. 
It's easy to go, you know what, if God hasn't acted yet, well, he mustn't care and he must be busy or he must be doing something else. Or, you know, why wouldn't God just step in at this particular moment of time and God, what's going on? And, and it's easy to kind of slip into that mindset at times that maybe Jesus maybe just doesn't care. See, Jesus' delay for Lazarus didn't mean that he didn't care about him. It didn't actually mean that he didn't want to heal him. In fact, it was quite the opposite. Maybe I just want to say to you this morning, maybe it is that, that the delay meant that there was a greater power that God was about to reveal. See, maybe God is waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting because he has a Lazarus moment in store for your life that you just can't see right now. See, Divine delays may not represent divine reluctance because there's one thing that God knows, and this is my last point. Desperation produces change. There is something that happens. There's something that happens inside of every single one of us when we get desperate. You don't think about your past, you think at the moments, you think about a situation you might find yourself or maybe you're in this morning. And there's those moments where desperation does something inside of us. When we're willing to go or try or, or, or see someone or go anywhere or do something to try and get the answers we need. This morning, I wanna, I wanna remind you of the fact that your, your, power, your, your prayers of desperation have great power. That when we reach the end of our ropes, when we reach the end where there's nowhere to turn, there's no way to go, there is power in our desperate prayers. See, there's almost nothing that captivates and moves a father's heart like desperation. And I know this because I look at myself in relationship to with, my with my kids and I, and I look at how their desperation impacts on me. I told this story a couple of months back about a holiday that we had at the start of the year and, and I took Allegra and Ruben surfing and I was reminded of this story just the other week. I took Allegra and Ruben surfing and, and the whole week we're surfing in this one particular spot and, and over the other side of kind of the, the inlet where the water was coming in was a, a little island. And up on that island, uh, I looked, and the whole week I could see people kind of walking around there and I thought, you know what, that looks really cool. That looks an amazing place to be. And so I made it in my mind, I went, you know what, I'm gonna be a good dad. I'm gonna take my kids across the inlet and we're gonna, we're gonna walk around the little island. We're gonna explore it and check it out. And so I'd see some people, I'd seen some people kind of walk on what must have been a sandbank to get over there. So I had this great idea, you know what I'm gonna do? Shadi's not here and I've got my two eldest kids and I'm gonna take my kids on the sandbank and we're gonna walk over to the inland and it's gonna be great and we're gonna check out the little island and then we're gonna come back and we're gonna tell stories about the stuff that we did. So we put the, set, we put the surfboard on the, on the beach and we, we started walking across this, the sandbank. And we got about 80% of the way over. When all of a sudden I took the next step and I fell head well, under the, underneath the water. See, the sandbank had, had, had just ended at that point. But we were oh so close. We were like 50 metres from, like, from here to kind of where the toilets are from here, away from the other side. And I'm like, you know what? Kids, we can do this. So what we did is we're going we're gonna to swim, we're going to get across, we're going to have a great time, we're going to come, we're gonna swim back and we're going to have tell stories about the stuff that happened. And so we, we started swimming. 
It was a great idea. Shadi wasn't there. It was a great idea. And it was a great idea until the waves started getting bigger and bigger and the laughter and the smiles and the kids' faces getting a little bit smaller and smaller. And it was great until the point where Reuben grabbed his arms and threw them around my, around my neck and looked in my face. And as I looked at Reuben, as I looked in his eyes, there was a huge amount of desperation. At that point, I thought, maybe this wasn't such a great idea. This is a really dumb idea, in fact. So let's, you know what? I had a moment of genius because I thought, you know what? If I get back to our campsite with two less kids than I left, pretty sure the rest of our holiday is going to be a bad holiday. I'm going to be in the doghouse for a really long time. So I thought, you know what, kids? We're going to turn around. Brilliant dad moment. We're going to turn around. We're going to swim back. They're like, yeah, okay. And so we started swimming back. And I started to get a little bit desperate inside. It's that moment where I'm like on the outside, I'm trying to look cool, calm and collected. I don't know if I was having any success in that, but I'm trying to look cool, calm and collected on the outside. On the inside, I'm starting to get desperate. I'm starting to think, you know what? Right now, the kids are using me as buoyancy. Maybe I can use them as buoyancy. Maybe I can like put my feet on one and my back on the other and they can like, we can all float together across or they can not float, but I'll float, that's fine. I was starting to look at jet skis that were going past. I'm thinking, you know what? Is it legal to do a jet ski jacking? Not a car jacking, but a jet ski jacking. I think I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna save the world. I'm gonna save my kids by jet jet, uh, jet ski jacking some punk's jet ski. got to the point, I'm looking at Reuben's eyes, full of desperation. Inside, started to freak out a little bit. Shadi's not here, so this is just between all of us. I may have told this story early in the year, may have gotten in a lot of trouble when I got home, but I'm still here, so that's all good. <laughs> but we finally hit the sandbar, a moment where your feet kind of just, they're too short, so they can't quite do it yet. And we hugged each other, and we high-fived, and we lived to tell the story. I didn't get killed by Shadi. It was a good day. I'll never forget the moment of desperation in Reuben's eyes. See, I would do everything I could to save those kids. That's what I love about this widow. I love about this widow that she doesn't give up. I love about this widow that she doesn't give in. I love about this widow that she doesn't surrender. Why? Because, because just like Reuben, she was desperate. She was desperate enough to try something. She was desperate enough to allow her to overcome her situation because she realised that desperation produces change. You see, it gave a poor, helpless widow the courage to continue to nag the judge until she got what she needed. And you know what? I, I remember standing that moment where it gave Allegra, Reuben and I the energy to swim one more stroke to try and get back to that sandbar. Church, I want you to hear something something potentially life-changing and powerful. Do you know what is powerful and life-changing about a perspective of desperation? Do you know what is life-changing about how desperation and what desperation shows to us and reveals to us? What it reveals to us is that we've got nothing to lose. 
See, David had nothing to lose when he went up against Goliath. Ruth had nothing to go to lose when she went up against King Azersis. Moses had nothing to lose when he went up against Pharaoh. And Jesus had nothing to lose when he went up against the devil. And so what our job is to do is simply to pray. Pray until, pray until, pray until something happens. The church, make no mistake. Make, make no mistake. We are facing desperate times. Satan has one simple mission. John 10.10 records what that mission's job is. He says, the devil's job is to steal, kill and destroy. And I don't know about you, but as I walk the streets of our neighbourhood, of my neighbourhood, of our community, as I look to see what the devil's trying to do, as I look around at the drugs and the violence and the substance abuse and the, the sexual abuse and the loneliness and the financial ruin, the domestic violence and the, the racial tension and the, the mental health and the suicide, we could just write a longer and longer and longer list. And I know you've not come this morning to be depressed because I wanna encourage you and I wanna fill you with hope this morning because I love that John 10, 10 doesn't finish there. The devil's job is to come to steal, kill and destroy. I love that it doesn't finish there. End of paragraph, end of story, that's it. But I love this morning that the rest of that verse says this. Jesus says that I have come, that I have come. I've come to give life and life to the full. I've come to give life and life to the full. See, there is something powerful that happens inside of us when we get desperate enough to risk it all on God, when we get desperate enough to fall at our knees, to cry out to Him. We get desperate enough to, to position ourselves in a place like this and go, God, God, I can't do it anymore. God, this seems like there's no more hope. God, it seems like we can't get past this. God, your will be done. God, your timing be done. There's something powerful, church, that happens when we realize that we have nothing to lose. I'm going to talk from my heart to, to you this morning. We started this campus just under 18 months ago. And we launched this campus with a hunger, with a desperation that we would see God do the miraculous, that we would see souls won, that we would see families and lives restored. And we, we began this journey with a deep heart and desire that God, we are all in for what You are gonna do in our city. And God, we wanna be part of the change that You wanna bring. God, we wanna be part of a people that bring hope into the hopeless situations. But I need to confess something. I feel like I have, and I feel like as a campus, we've got just a little bit comfortable. We've got just a little bit complacent. We've seen God do incredible things 
feel like at times, and I feel like we're in a place where we're just kind of sitting back going, that was awesome. That was good. But I feel like it's time that God is pleading with us and calling us to pray and not give up again. I feel like God's calling us, Dave, Logan Campus, it's time to get just a little bit more desperate for me again. It's time to turn the heat up again. It's time to get, it's time to, to, to turn the wick up on our prayers. It's time to step up because I don't know if you know, but lives are a state because of what we do. Eternity is a state because of what we do. And so God is calling us back to pray until. This parable ends with verse 8. When Jesus asks, when the Son of Man returns, will He find faith on earth? Will He find faith unified? A desperate body of believers crying out to God. Will you? Will I hear that call? Together. Will we, church, are you with me? Will we just get a little bit more desperate again? Will we just get a little bit more hungry again? Can God break our hearts with the things that break yours? The lost people that are lost. The hopeless people that are hopeless. God, the the people who are just going through so much and yet we have got the good news. I will never forget. I will never forget the look of Reuben as he grabbed me around my neck and he looked at me in the eyes. I will never forget that look of desperation that was in those eyes. See, I would do, I would do everything to save those kids. And Jesus, God did everything to save us. So the heart of this church is that we believe every single person is valuable to God and that needs to hear the life-changing message of Jesus. No matter where your life is this morning, no matter where your life has been heading this morning, that we believe in a God whose expertise are in new turns. That He can lead our lives at what once we're heading in destruction. It can change the course and bring it back on course for, for hope. So this morning. I want to ask a question in this place. Where are you with Jesus? The Bible says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Do you know who lives in the world? You. For God so loved you. He gave His one and only Son. God got three kids. And I would do everything 
to protect them and to save them. So when I read this verse, it just messes me up because God only has one son. And yet because of His love for you and for someone like me, God gave Him to die on a cross for stuff that He didn't do, for the stuff that I've done wrong. Because He wants a relationship with you. So this morning, all you need to do is you just need to say yes. It's as easy as it is and as challenging as it is. So this morning, I want to ask you a question. Will you say yes to Jesus because Jesus has said yes to you? So all we're going to do is we're going to, I'm going to ask everyone just to leave your eyes open. You know, I've talked about this before. What? It's funny in a place like this when we're asking people to make the best decision of their life. As Christians, we can kind of feel like this is something to be ashamed of. Can I just, can I just encourage you and love on you enough to say this? This is the best decision you have made. And I know that because it's the decision I've made. So we're not going to close our eyes because every one of us have already made this decision. I'm just sitting there full of expectation, full of excitement going, God, God, this is the best decision. In fact, if you love Jesus right now, why don't you be praying for people here who haven't made this decision, that they will have the courage to make this decision. So this morning, I'm not going to prolong it. We simply say yes to Jesus. If you see you here this morning, we've got a gift for you. But most of all, we want to celebrate with you and we want to walk this journey with you. So can I encourage you to do something that's going to be a little bit scary? Can I just ask you to raise your hand? I'm going to count to two. Will you just raise your hand and go, you know what, this is a decision I'm making this morning. I'm making a decision to say yes to Jesus. One, Jesus loves you. And He gave everything He had for you. Because He wants to start a relationship with you. Two, come on this morning, is this you? Is that you this morning? Do you simply need to say yes to Jesus? Come on, I know there's some people here this morning. Is that you this morning? I think that's an inch of a head. Awesome. Come on. It's two. Can I just... say this. We're here, I'm away here this morning. Let's pray God. I want to see people's lives change this morning. I want to see people give their life to Jesus for the first time. God put a number on my heart. You can ask any of the worship team. We, we stood at the back. We were praying for you this morning. One of the team, Kerry asked me, he said, Dave, how many people? How many people are going to say yes this morning? I said, I felt like God was saying there's going to be two. You 
Can we pray for these guys? Dear Jesus, I thank you for the decision that these two amazing, wonderful ladies have made. Thank you that you died for them. God, thank you that you you died for all the junk and the things that they've done wrong because you love them that much. God, and you knew they were gonna be here this morning. God, you knew that you knew this moment would come and you were pleading with them and prompting them through the Holy Spirit. So God, I pray, Lord, that this will be amazing days ahead for them. Lord, strengthen them. Lord, use them. Lord, love on them. And Lord, let us as a campus, as a church, love on them and walk with them. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hey, church, you know what? We need to celebrate the decision that was made here this morning. And our team's going give to give you a little gift and we want to love to pray with you after the service and love you help on this journey. Uh, we've got Alpha that starts on Tuesday night just to help to answer some of the questions you've got. No doubt you've got a lot of questions and some ways of kind of getting some questions, uh, some answers to some of the questions you've got. This morning, this morning we were talking about the power of desperate prayers. And what I felt like we needed to do this morning, we talked about this, something significant happens when we get desperate enough. When we get desperate enough, we will try and we will do whatever it takes, yeah? So I wanna, what we're gonna do this morning is we're gonna do something that's gonna show our desperation. If you've got some prayers that you've been believing for that aren't yet answered, if you've got some prayers that you've been believing for, they're going, God, I just need a breakthrough in this area. And God appears to have been silent or hasn't answered your prayers yet. Then what we want to do this morning, desperation causes us to do whatever we do, whatever we can to try and get an answer to the prayers that we pray. So what we're going to do this morning, if you've got a prayer that you've been praying and believing God for that hasn't been answered. Can I invite you to stand? We stand right now. Come on. Stand. You know what that says to me? There's a lot of really desperate people in the room. So what I want to do, what I want us to do can everyone else is sitting down? Why don't we just get up and gather around these people who are standing and let's join our faith together. And let's go, God, you know what? We haven't seen breakthrough yet. God, we haven't seen that answer to prayer yet. But God, together we are standing with the person that's near us and we're believing that You are the God that answers prayers. And we are going to get desperate and we're going to get on our knees and we're going to cry out to You. We're going to position You. God, we're going to go hungry after You and we're going to pray together. So why don't we just jump to our feet right now and let's pray for the people around us. Let's pray together for them. Come on, let's in one voice, let's jump up. There's people sitting next to you, behind you, in front of you, beside you. Let's just join our faith with them. We don't even know what they're praying, but God knows their prayers. So let's pray, church. Come on, come on, let's lift our voices right here, right now. Let's lift our voices together. God, we thank you. God, hear the prayers of your people. 
Lord, as our voices are raised to You in this place this morning. God, You hear the cries of our heart. God, You heard the cries of our heart. God, You know what's going on inside of us. And God, we wanna position ourselves in a place of desperation, knowing that God, You have gone before us. God, that You are a God who hears our prayers and answers them in Your time. So God, I pray. Lord, across this place this morning, God, in people's lives, God, in our prayers, God, we want to be hungry again. God, we want to be desperate again for more of You. God, we want to be desperate again that that we will see You do exceedingly above more than we can possibly dream or imagine. Jesus, breakthrough in this place. Holy Spirit, let your spirit fall in people's lives and situations. We hope you've been blessed by this message from Gateway Baptist Church. We're a growing family and everybody who walks through our doors is welcome. If you'd like to connect with us, please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au to find out more.